Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, picking up where we left off last week. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Allow me to read this passage. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to the festival or the new moon or the Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgences. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts to the truths of your word today. Help us to understand that there is nothing else needed but Jesus and our faith in him and what he has done for us on the cross. That is all that we need to receive salvation and eternal life. Lord, help us to understand how we need to be able to come confront even the false beliefs today that we are faced with. Lord, I pray that you will help us to understand your word and to see the truths that are found so clearly in your gospel that counteract anything that is false. Lord, guide us in our study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, we're dealing with this book of Colossians, and basically Paul is dealing with three main false teachings. The first one is what we would call legalism, and it's led by the Judaizers. The Judaizers basically said, you must follow the rules and the regulations of Judaism before you can become Christian. The understanding was, well, they had grown up as Jews and had followed the Mosaic laws, as well as the extra rules and regulations that the scribes and Pharisees had tacked onto it, and they believed that since they had been God's chosen people, and for these Jews had, who had receive Christ, they believed that the course to become a Christian was through Judaism. And so they wanted others to follow the rules and regulations of Judaism in order to become a child of God. The second was what we call Gnostic mysticism. The Gnostics were basically those who said, you know, we, we believe that we have this secret knowledge or have discovered this secret knowledge of how to have a connection with God says it's really something ingrained in all of us, but we have found that connection. We know how to do it. And according to the scriptures today, one of the ways they did that was by worshiping angels and having visions and believing that they had this secret way. And once they had, quote, found this secret passage, 
then they wanted to teach it to others, and they felt that they were of great importance. See, they believed that God spoke to people through what they called emanations, and they believed that the, the, the angels who came to earth were emanations of God, sent to give us a message from God, they believe that Jesus, if he were an emanation, was a lesser emanation from God. And so they didn't put much faith in Jesus. Then the third were those who taught asceticism. That basically means that you see all things of the flesh as evil, and you want to beat the evil out of you. You try to do anything and everything to tamper down the evil so that you can purify the body so that you will be good enough for, for God. And basically, their way of doing that is to uh, have very strict dietary things. And basically, if it makes you feel good, then don't do it. And so these are the things that Paul is dealing with, uh, the confrontation that the people in the church at Corinth were, uh, uh, Colossae were dealing with. And so he, how does he deal with these? Well, he basically does address them, but he addresses them through the gospel. So we look and we see that uh, through the scripture, we understand that Jesus is the answer. None of these ways of belief have any foundation in the scriptures. So let's look at verse 16. The very first word is therefore. Now you've heard those saying that if you see the word therefore, what is it therefore? It always refers back to what you just covered. So last week we dealt with verses 8 through 15, which deal with that we learn that Jesus is fully, full, fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form. In other words, Jesus is God, even in his bodily form, which they were struggling with because they believe that the flesh is evil. So if the flesh is evil, then Jesus could not be good because he had to be evil. We also learn that Jesus came and became sin for us, died in our place, being nailed to the cross. We also learn that our sins are forgiven and the debt of our sins are paid through Christ. And it is our faith in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension that is a central part of our faith, and there is nothing else needed. It's not Jesus plus works. It's not Jesus plus some other secret knowledge. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that we need. That's what we dealt with last week, and we're kind of adding to that this week. And then he says, let no one be your judge. He says, therefore no one is to act as your judge. Well, we go to James chapter 4, verse 12, and we find... There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbors? In other words, we as mankind really have no right to judge others according to what we think is best for their lives. Now, God does give us an opportunity to confront fellow brothers and sisters in Christ when they are straying away. Because uh, the scriptures do tell us that if we find a, a brother or sister in error, that we are to go to them in private, one-on-one, -on -one, and to discuss this with them. If they turn from their error, then praise the Lord, you have restored a brother in Christ. If they do not, then two or three others go with you. And again, confront the brother in error, prayed up, led by the Holy Spirit, and again, praying that the brother in Christ 
will come back and be restored. But as a general rule, these people were saying, you're not going to get to heaven going the way that you're going. You must do it this way. You must follow the food and the drink requirements that we have set aside, and you must follow the festivals of the new moon, and you must also worship on the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Well, we look and we see there is definitely truth to these things. But when we look at what the Old Testament books of the law tell us, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they're basically just a mere shadow of the coming of Christ. If you go through all the prophets, they are constantly pointing to the one who is yet to come, the messenger of God, the son of God, the Messiah. And they consistently share that it is our faith in God's promise to us that it brings us salvation and eternal life. Even in, the, uh, even in uh, Abraham, it said he believed God and God counted it unto him as righteousness. It wasn't Abraham's doings. It was not his actions. It was his belief that brought salvation. And so we look and we see that even though Jesus was a mere shadow being shared through the Old Testament, he is still the path of salvation. Yet we look and we see, well, what was the law of Moses there for? Well, let's just be honest. It was there to help guide God's people, to show them as a different people. They were God's chosen people, and he wanted them to be separate from the world around, us, around them. The world around them were pagans, not God-fearers, not God-worshippers. And so he wanted them to be set apart. So they wanted them to have a different type of lifestyle. And so the things that they did were to basically fulfill God's commandments. Now we look at the whole Law of Moses, five books, and then it was kind of condensed down into what we call the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. And then a young man came to Jesus one day and said, What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So basically, the laws of Moses were to fulfill this simple commandment, to love God with all your being, and then to love your neighbor with the same love that God loved you. And so instead of saying, well, you have to follow all the rules and regulations of Judaism before you can become a child of God, Paul's very simply saying, no, all that was to prepare people to hear of God's message of salvation through the one who was yet to come, the Messiah, the promised Messiah. All the rules and regulations were to help us to live in a lifestyle that would be pleasing unto God, that would worship God and God alone and love our neighbors. Simple message. And so then he moves over to verses 18 and 19, dealing with the Gnostic mysticisms. Now, the Gnostics at this point in history were kind of fledgling. There, there was not a real defined way of understanding them. But this passage of Scripture really helps us to understand them fairly well. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. Your prize is salvation by Christ alone by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Let's just stop there. 
these Gnostics were basically saying, we are separating ourselves. We believe that we have an inside track. We believe that God communicates to his people, the people on earth, through angels. And yes, God does that. If you look at the scriptures, there are many times when angels appear in human form and speak to people. But they are usually very brief. They're usually just specific oriented for the occasion, like the angel coming to Mary and Joseph, saying you're about to have a baby and it's going to be the, the son of the Holy Spirit, Christ the Lord. And not the way to salvation, not some secret pathway to get to God, but they believed that angels were these special emanations and that if you worship these angels, then they were that next step closer to God. And if you could make a contact through the angels, then you could find the path that would get you to God. And so they would worship angels, and they claimed to have visions that would show them the way. Well, let me tell you something. Not all angels are good. There's one called Lucifer. We call him Satan. He was a created angel of God who worked against God, who tried to overthrow God and was cast out of heaven. And if you want to worship an angel that will give you a vision, guess who is going to give you a vision? Satan. So these were finding ways that were false. God is not going to give you visions, and by worshiping angels, he's not going to help you to find a pathway to God. And so Paul's saying, why are you letting people defraud you of what you already have? You already have everything that you need. You have Jesus. Jesus alone is all that you need for salvation. So these people, it says that they've inflated themselves with their fleshly minds. In other words, look at us. We have this secret knowledge. And if you come to us and us alone, we'll help you find the way to God. So this secret knowledge was not from God. It was from a worship of a false angel. And then verse 19 says, Remember, the church has a head. His name is Jesus. And not, they were not holding, to the, holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grow with growth, which is from God. They had abandoned the head of the church. They had abandoned Jesus, the only way of salvation. And they had found their own way to God. So they had abandoned what we are always told, that Christ is the head of the church. And he is the one that holds us all together. So we need to understand that it is Jesus and Jesus alone. Not Jesus plus works or Jesus plus some secret knowledge. He is our only way to salvation. Then we deal with the asceticism. Not a word we use a lot, but basically it means to purify, to, to try to get rid of that which is bad or evil. So Paul is now dealing with those who believe that the body itself is evil. To believe that anything physical, anything of flesh and blood is evil. And so how do they try to fix this problem? Well, they want to figure out a way to make themselves good enough for God. And so they think, well, our human nature, our flesh, wants certain things. And that fleshly desire is evil. So if we try to overcome that fleshly desire, 
then maybe we'll be good enough in the eyes of God. And so they begin to abstain from things. Anything rich in food, they would abstain from. Anything that might put a few extra pounds on them, they would abstain from. Anything that really tasted good and was savory to the taste, they would abstain from. Same with uh, drink. They would not take anything that would you know, cause them to be drunken, which is a good thing, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But they also basically said, we're going to abstain from anything that brings pleasure to our lives. So, in other words, if it feels good, don't do it. And so we're looking at uh, kind of going overboard, trying to say, God, we're putting all this evil out of our lives so that we'll be good enough for you to accept. And they came up with the, not the do's that we're supposed to do, like the uh, Judaizers, do this, do this, do this, honor the Sabbath, do, keep the festivals, and do all these things. They said, don't do these things. Do not eat this. Do not taste this. Do not touch this. Do not allow this to happen in your life. And so they, again, were attempting to purify themselves by ridding themselves of anything pleasurable that they considered that would contaminate their bodies. But here's what Paul is basically showing them. That's not going to get you to heaven. You're basically saying that you're a sinner, which you are, but the Word of God says we are all sinners. Romans 3.23, which is part of this Roman road that's laying here, up here on this table. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Notice the word all, every one of us. Doesn't matter if you're an ascetic, a Gnostic, a Jew, a Christian. We have all sinned against God. And so nobody, nobody can live a perfect enough life to get away from the penalty of our sins. And so then, Romans 6.23, the first part says, And the wages of sin is death. Well, if you have sinned once, any, then we all deserve death. Matter of fact, the scripture is pretty clear. We are born in sin. In other words, we don't, we don't have to wait till we tell the first lie or disobey our parents for the first time. We're born with that sin nature. We are born in sin and condemned to this death. This death is not physical death because we're all going to die. It is spiritual death, eternal separation from God. That's what we deserve for any sin. So could these ascetics say, well, I've never sinned? Nobody can say that. But what Paul wants them to understand, what wants us to understand is, here's the answer. God has already given us the answer. And it's found in the second half of Romans 6, 23. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. See, there's no merit way to get to God. It is all by what Jesus has done for us. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. It is all because of Jesus and what he has done. So the question is, is that a bad lifestyle? Well, it's according to which side of the cart you're on. If you're the cart pulling the horse, you're on the wrong side. If you think that living an ascetic lifestyle is going to get you to God, then it's wrong. But as a child of God, yes, we ought to abstain from certain things. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so, yes, we need to abstain from things that would take us away from the blessings that God wants us to receive. Anything that would harm our relationship with the Lord should be abstained from. However, there is nothing in what we have ever done that could ever cancel out his gift of salvation, eternal life through Jesus. Nor can abstaining in any form earn our way to God. So, why are false teachings like this so popular? You understand that these same false teachings are still very valid today. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, so-and-so, if you get your act straight, then you might could receive salvation. If you quit going to the honky-tonks, if you quit shacking up with so-and-so, if you quit being such a drunkard, then maybe God would accept you. Maybe you could actually show your face in the doors of this church. Now, folks, that has happened, and you know it. We see people, and we say, you're not fit to come into this sanctuary because of who you are and your lifestyle. Clean your act up first, then maybe you can hear the gospel and come to Christ. That's not the way to do it. And there are also the opposite extremes. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. You know, I, you don't even want to go into the list of all the don'ts. But it's so easy for people to think, if I do these things, if I don't do these things, then I will be better than most, and God will say, you're, you're good enough. You're good enough for my heaven. None of that's scriptural. So why do we deal with these types of things? Why do we entertain false teachings in any form? Here's a simple reason. We, as human beings like a step-by-step process to get to where we want to be. An ABC, one, two, three way of getting where we want to be. If somebody says, if you do step one, two, and three, then you will achieve your goal. That's usually what we want to do, isn't it? And these false teachings are basically that. They're basically saying, here's what you do. You do these things. Notice the word you. It is self-done, self-regulated, and self attempts to get to God. So if you either do these things or if you don't do these things or if you listen to us and our teachings, then you will receive what you long to have, a relationship with God. And so we're so tempted to say, they have found the way. It's not through this faith that I don't know how I can relate to. It is reality. One, two, three. A, B, C. I do these things and I'm in. I've arrived. I've achieved my goal. I get to go to heaven. According to their teachings, if I do the things that they're telling me I need to do, if I don't do the things they tell me I don't need to do, if I listen to their teachings that they say they have this secret, wonderful information that only they can give me, and I listen, I learn it, I can repeat it back to them, make an A on the test, then I'm in. Isn't that really what we like? You know, if you're, if you're, if you're an accountant, you know, one plus one always equals two. You want things to be real simple. 
real logical. Let's just be honest. Christianity really is not logical. It is saying that we need to believe that what one man did some 2,000 years ago by dying on a cross as, a, as an enemy of Rome, that what he did saves me and you from our sins and gives us salvation and eternal life. Not a lot of logic there, is there? It's called faith. It is believing what the scriptures tell us, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is hearing a verse like that and saying, who is this son of God? Well, his name is Jesus. We go through the, the miraculous birth of Christ, that we, that we always share about at, at Christmas time. We learn about his ministry here on earth, all the things he taught. Then we come to that point where Jesus said, it's time. And he set his face towards Jerusalem, and he knew what lied before him, and he went, and he entered that city. Many of the people shouted Hosanna and praise to the son of David. But did they really understand? Not really. They thought that he was going to be some military or political ruler that would overthrow the, the shackles of Rome over Jerusalem. They didn't really understand. But then Jesus took upon himself the guilt and the penalty of our sins. And he died in our place, nailing himself to the cross. Praise the Lord. When they placed him in that tomb, he didn't stay there. He proved that he had fulfilled God's purpose. He raised from the dead to prove that he had overcome the penalty of sin. He had overcome death. He had overcome hell. He overcame Satan. And he proved that he is our Messiah, our Savior. And when we place our faith in him, then he alone can save us. I shared with you all last week the proof positive that Jesus had fulfilled all that God had commanded was that God allowed him back to his rightful place in heaven. When Jesus ascended back into the heavens and people stood on this earth and watched him rise, that was proof positive that God had said, you did it. You did all that I called you to do. And you have brought salvation to mankind. Now you may return to your rightful place at my right hand to intercede on behalf of these, your people. That is what Jesus did. Not Jesus plus what we can do. Not Jesus plus some pathway knowledge. But Jesus and Jesus alone. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So today, if there's any doubt in your mind as to how you can receive salvation, eternal life with God in heaven, I pray that this has been very clear. But I would be glad to counsel with you, help you to fully understand what Jesus has done, 
that there is nothing that you can do to earn salvation. At the same time, if you do know, without a doubt, that you're his child, that you have placed your entire faith in Jesus, and Jesus alone, then we need to be sharing that message. We need to be found faithful. Whether you use something as simple as the Roman road to salvation, sharing your own personal testimony, inviting someone into your life to build a relationship and to find out what's going on in their lives and sharing how maybe God could make a difference in their life and then gradually sharing your faith. Whatever road that God gives you to do that, it may start with simply taking a meal to somebody who needs it or ministering some other way. But open up the door for the Spirit of God to use us to share His love. Our world around us is following a lot of different paths. A lot of those paths basically say, you know, all roads lead to heaven. You, you believe in anything, and you'll get to heaven. False teaching. A lot of people say, well, you know, I try to be pretty good. I try to help people when I see there's a need, and I try not to cuss too much. I'm a pretty good person, especially when I'm compared to this person, and this person, and this person. Surely God's going to let me into their heaven. No. A lot of false teaching out there. They need to hear the truth. And we, the church, are messengers of the truth. Say, well, there's, there's wonderful pastors on television and radio and internet. Folks, people without Christ don't want to listen to that. They want to see Christ in action. And they see Christ in action through his children, us. So may we be found faithful in sharing Christ with others. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, open our hearts today to realize that, Lord, there are many, many who are following a false path, thinking that one way or another, either by doing certain things or not doing certain things or following some different teaching, that they can get to you. Lord, your word has shared with us so vividly true that there is only one way. Jesus. Jesus who died for our sins, who rose victorious to give us salvation and victory. He is the only way. He himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to you but through him. Help us to share that message with those who des desperately need it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.